In every generation, there is a chosen one. Podcast. They alone will stand against the pseudo-professionalism of the contemporary academy. The vampires, the demons, and the forces of darkness. They are lulled by praxis. We're a lot more, um, maybe ridiculous than your podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I actually have recently, during lockdown, started um, a podcast, another podcast with my friend, Osh, which is entirely ridiculous not about linguistics at all about uh buffy the vampire slayer amazing yes yeah, so i feel like i'm um excuse me what, what is it called and what do you talk about buffy what, what is it you say? it is called sadie and osh will patrol tonight nice. um and it's not like we actually have like a lot of expertise in buffy or <laughs> um we don't really do very much research i'm not really sure what we're offering we just watch <laughs> we an just episode watch of buffy <laughs> we just watch an episode of buffy and then talk about that episode and then watch another one and then talk about it so yeah i've been doing like a lot of podcasting and not all of it very serious amazing how far through the series are you in the podcast we are on series two Mm. episode 17 maybe okay so i don't know if you guys are familiar with the canon uh, please, of course you are. Excuse you, Sadie. I figured wow. you might be. I figured you might be. So we're just uh, past the episode surprise, where I don't want to give anything away, but where the, the big surprise happens. Ah, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's fine that people have only had, what, 15 years to watch it? <laughs> 15 years? Are you joking? Wasn't it the 20th anniversary a few weeks ago? Yeah. Was it not? 20th. I thought it was 97. No. What's the date today? What's the date 21? today? Why can't we do simple maths? When was it first? Okay. Yeah. Welcome to the Hellmouth. When did it... Oh, no, you're right. It's 97. I was thinking of the um, film. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 No, not the same. Are you watching just the one on like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you seen like the bad remasters things? Have you seen no. this? Oh, my God. No. You need to... Like, there are really in-depth YouTube videos about it. So my, my wife is like a Buffy the Vampire Slayer purist. Like, (laughs) as one should be. So they did a really bad remaster, and that's the one that you can get like online. So basically, it's not all the colors washed out because they just let a computer do it. And there's loads of things where like characters won't even be like in the scene, like like, in the shot. But there's loads of things where like you're coming up season three. So like when Faith and Buffy have have that massive fight on the rooftop, you can see the camera crew in the remaster. Wow. Yeah, just for a second, it's really bad. We, we've just, uh, well, Sarah just invested in like kind of complete collector's edition of the original DVDs because she's like, I, can't, I just can't watch the remaster. I just can't do it. <laughs> and that's why they, they have really like kind of whited out faces as well because it's just a computer's like just done it. It's not been done very well. There's Awful. loads of YouTube videos deep diving it and it's very funny. I, I actually have a question that might relate it to your research. I'm oh. sorry, And I'm sorry to do that, but... What do you think of Angel's Irish accent? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> As an accent specialist, is it not the best, worst Irish accent ever? <laughs> so we we did actually, me and Osh have done a crossover episode about vampire linguistics. So <laughs> we've decided to take it for granted that that is a real Irish accent. <laughs> <laughs> for, for the- for, for research purposes okay okay, okay. for research purposes um and then we did like a lifespan analysis of 
Angel and Spike and talked about like how their accents have changed over the years. So, you know, like when Spike was alive, he Mm -hmm. was like a really posh Londoner. Mm -hmm. And then obviously Angel was Irish. So, (laughs) and then we were like, yeah, so like trying to like work out why that might be. Usually, people when they move from one place to another as an adult, you don't normally like your accent wouldn't normally change that much, right? Yeah. So we were trying to interpret it. And uh, we did like an hour and a half long episode. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we came to like any conclusions. So we, we ended up thinking, okay, so maybe when you go from being a human to a vampire, you don't continue to mature as a human does. Your state of development is like arrested. Maybe you even kind of regress a little bit. We've been talking a lot about how Angel is basically a child. He's like 240 or whatever. He needs to grow the fuck up. Um, (laughs) So, you know, taking that, maybe when he becomes a vampire, you know, children like acquire new accents much quicker than adults Mm -hmm. do. So maybe there's something to do with that. Like maybe we have to assume that vampires are different from humans in terms of like cognitive development. <laughs> <laughs> because the brain stops having blood flow through it or like, you know, obvi- there's there's a research project here for sure. Exactly. So we, we, we pretty much, yeah, we pretty much concluded being like, we definitely need some major grant Absolutely. funding. Absolutely. I think the World Trust to, should get behind this. Need to get some vampires into the lab, do some MRIs. In terms of other vampire linguistics, have you discussed like the horrificness that is the Dracula accent? Mm. But no, this is outside of Buffy, right? Oh yeah, just I just mean in general, like you know, like kind of like general cultural, like ah ah ah. Yeah, yeah. I was like, when is Dracula and Buffy? <laughs> uh, excuse me, excuse me. Dracula was in Buffy. Wow. What? No, I mean, I haven't watched it all yet. Oh, have you never watched it before? Is this like a first run through? No, I've I've come across it before, but I've not I've not properly come on. properly properly. Dracula seduces <laughs> Joyce, and it's a really big mm-hmm. moment. And there's this moment what? with Buffy who also gets seduced by Dracula and wears this fucking horrific scarf. Like, don't come at us like we're not fans and tell me you haven't even no, seen no. the Dracula episode. Wow. <laughs> What about like the count on Sesame Street? You know, you know that just that. One. Eh, 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 the, the, the eh, one. Eh, eh, yeah, 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 yeah. What right. the fuck is that? Because that's not that's not a real accent, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Do we know who played the count? In were they Russian, Romanian? Probably not. Eh? Absolutely not. What can I say except you're welcome? The many funded projects in the field of medical humanities. Hello and welcome to Lol My Praxis. Today we are minding our P's, Q's and glottal stops and we're chatting to Dr Sadie Ryan. Sadie is a research associate in linguistics and Manchester Met and she's interested in sociolinguistic variation and its role in identity construction, particularly in adolescence. Louise, you must be so happy I'm reading this out. There's a lot of very complicated words just there. Unlike us, her podcast, Accentricity, was nominated for Best New Podcast by the British Podcast Awards in 2020, and it won Steady's Independent Independent Media Academy Award. Independent Media Independent Media Academy Award the same year. Welcome to the podcast, Sadie. We're sorry that ours is inferior. your podcast i've been having a lovely oh, stop. time stop say it. more <laughs> just, just snubbed by the british podcast awards it's fine it's totally fine we're over it's it totally we're so... they don't know they don't know what they're doing they, know they're they doing. don't know what they're doing they don't know at all I'm so good <laughs> um, so 
As an accent specialist, though, could you count Alex's independent as an accent, or <laughs> is that just a fuck up? <laughs> it went a little bit Australian like, for a moment. Independent. Yeah, 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 Australian, maybe New Zealand. I don't know. Independent. I can't do it. No, accent or fuck up? It's a really fine line. I think it's so difficult. I used to. So I, I grew up a little bit in South Africa when I was younger, and I came back and I had a bit of the South African accent, which comes out every now and then. Right. People used to kind of when I first came back, they yes, South Africa. Um, and that was probably terrible for any South Africans listening. I'm so, so sorry. We're so um, sorry. We're so sorry. We're so sorry. I'm not sorry at all. Um, but yeah, people always used to ask me, like, where are you from exactly? I was like, I don't, what do you mean? <laughs> from Hook. How long did it take you to start sounding South African when you moved there? Probably a few months. I was quite young. But maybe, Sadie, could you tell us, does uh, does age play a role in accents? Smooth. I think Smooth. so, but like... Yeah, like, it's it's funny because there's quite, like, when you kind of read the theory on it, there's quite set ideas about, like, our children, you know, the, the theory, the, the kind of standard theory is that children will pick up accents really quickly and adults won't, but loads of people who break the rules all the time, like, so I've got one friend who lived in Leeds till she was three, then travelled about with her parents in a caravan for a bit because her parents were cool and then they kind of settled down in Scotland when she was I think seven mm. and she her parents are both Scottish as well um and she now is like about 30 and she still has a little bit of a Leeds accent mm. like she mostly sounds Scottish but she still says like she's got a little bit of like up a little bit like that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um instead of when I'd say up so like that's yeah that that like really flies in the face of everything that I've ever read but um (laughs) how dare you can I study you (laughs) yeah well I was like telling her she was a linguistic marvel and then I was like the only way I can understand it is that she just had a really set sense of who she was when she was three (laughs) a really strong identity and then I've got other friends like I've got a couple friends who moved to Glasgow as adults Mm -hmm. you know like young adults but as adults and now are starting to sound pretty Glaswegian Mm -hmm. so I guess like that's when you're studying humans humans just break the rules all the time don't they every time you think you've got them down they do something weird I'm I'm, I'm confused as to why Louise has a very like I don't know fucked up accent no but you just had like a weird little smile on your face when when Sadie was talking about that you just sort of started to make this very strange face no it's because I went to school in England and quick be more English I, I I can't like I can't it, I can't I can't I always fence for Scotland and things but I grew up in England and sort of my dad's Scottish obviously and then came back up for uni but I'd always had like an underlying weird Scottishness to my to my accent but it just never it was yeah I basically I'm a, I'm a bit of a freak that's why my accent is like kind of kind of posh Scottish because it's actually not posh Scottish it's you're a linguistic marvel Louise you are a linguistic or a marvel. Fuck up. Yeah, like, that's the second, the second one. Yes. Maybe we're all we're all either yeah we're all either linguistic marvels or massive fuck ups. <laughs> do yeah, the kazoo. Like, do the kazoo. Yeah, like, you've, talk, you've talked kazoo. about yourself a lot, Louise. No, I no have, more. and it's just. But also, <laughs> I actually, I actually feel quite uncomfortable about it. So I just, because I'm just like oh, well, I grew up in England and everything, but I just have a Scottish accent and it's just really awkward It's funny, isn't it, it, though? Like, like people, how emotional people get about accents. Like, I, I do as well. Like, if anyone says anything about my accent, I'm like, oh. <laughs> Whether, even if it's a compliment, it still kind of cuts, cuts me deep for some reason. <laughs> 
Anyway, the kazoo. So, as you know from our wonderful podcast. Award-winning. Uh, no, not yet. Soon. 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 Soon, soon. soon. soon to be award-winning. Soon to be award-winning. they open winning. their fucking eyes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we can open their eyes, but as long as they don't open their ears, we're good. We, we like to curate a jingle for our guests. Mm-hmm. And it's somehow connected to your research in our, in our twisted, twisted sense of what your research is, which is probably incorrect. I can't remember the rest. But that's kind of half of the chorus. Maybe. And Alex is being judgy. And she can stop being judgy when she does it herself. No. And this is not something you've made up. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. We're not talented enough to have musicians on our podcast. This is based on a tune I know. Yeah, it's quite it's famous. Quite a, it's quite, quite famous. And, uh, you know, I, w- I will say, I think we nailed it. <laughs> I, th- I think it's quite common knowledge. Oh. So, 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 it's quite a common, common song. song. Oh, is it, is it common people? Yes. <laughs> Obviously. First time, first guess. Why is that related to your research? Or why is that related to our idea of what your research is? <laughs> Could be many reasons, actually, because I was thinking the other day of that song, I was reading something about ethnography and, like, the idea of being an insider and an outsider in a community and like trying to observe things from trying to like take on an insider's perspective as an outsider and how you can never truly do that and I was like oh that song's like actually quite a good little summing up of that but also I do do research about social class which is maybe maybe the other connection with that song yeah yeah that, that I get it? Well, that's, that's what we get I was going want to speak like yeah yeah people. yeah so what does it mean? What does it mean to speak <laughs> oh, like Oh yeah, that is in the song, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> See, we we do think this through, Sadie. Fuck. <laughs> we did plan this. It might seem like chaos, but it's planned chaos. <laughs> I can tell. I can tell. So my research looks at sociolinguistic variation. So the fact that not everybody sounds the same. And the differences in the way we speak fall along all kinds of different lines. And a lot of those lines are to do with our identities. So when you hear somebody speak before they tell you, you can usually tell if they maybe sound American or if they sound Scottish or if they sound Irish. And then within that, you can usually tell something about maybe their social class identity, maybe their gender, maybe their ethnicity and other things as well, like how they're feeling at that time, whether they're feeling comfortable or uncomfortable and other aspects of people's identity. There are kind of styles that you can recognise in people's speech, like if somebody speaks like a, like a cool surfer guy or or so there's all kinds of really fascinating stuff that we do with language and one of the things that I'm quite interested in is how social class is kind of communicated through language so so because our language use can communicate something about our identity that also kind of opens up a lot of the time to stigma and prejudice and discrimination so I'm really interested in the ways that people use language as a tool to kind of keep people in their place or exclude them from certain um, social spaces. I think we see that a lot with language in the UK and elsewhere where language gets used as a vehicle for for racism and classism and, and uh, misogyny and all different kinds of prejudice. And I think that one of the really important jobs for linguists to do is to kind of challenge that in whatever ways we can. 
that was a really long speech sorry <laughs> no it was really um really important because mm. you know it's an issue in a university classroom it's, and, mm. and I presume it's an issue lots of places I think there's a that kind of notion that certain accents sound thick with the huge inverted commas which I'm, I, I realized that folk can't see <laughs> because this is a podcast <laughs> I, think, I think you can hear the inverted commas yeah, though <laughs> hopefully but I just you know when you say something particularly twatty and you're like by the way I was being sarcastic just yeah. in case <laughs> that was a joke don't take that out of context don't yeah. take just that clip use the correct inflection don't have to explain it use the right kind of tones yeah that because that's what linguistics is right sociolinguistics be like I've been so sad I was about to just say it's the study of language, but then now I'm like, maybe <laughs> you know, you know when you second guess yourself, maybe there are other definitions. I would say it's the study of language. Okay. But no, I know that people do sometimes draw distinctions between like sociolinguistics not being linguistics and I, I don't know I just think it's the study of language so I'm gonna go with that <laughs> so what 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 is the difference between um sociolinguistics and linguistics then so sociolinguistics is kind of the I guess it's probably started off as being like the intersection between sociology and linguistics nowadays it's it's pretty much anything that looks at the social life of language and the way that language reflects society and society reflects language so when we're talking about things like language and identity and how those things link up that's a big part of sociolinguistics because it occurred to us because obviously we we both work in um, English departments but we're literature people very much so Mm. and we were like oh my god this abstract why are there graphs (laughs) oh yeah why is it a science though why yeah why why is it science though why is it science though so I suppose one of the things so when I teach first year linguistics when people come to university people have loads and loads to say about language from the very start so everybody's got ideas and opinions about language and that's fantastic that means that it's a really great subject for like public engagement it's a really great subject for chatting to people about and getting people interested in research and getting people to kind of explore and talk about themselves and their own experiences which everybody loves to do but um I think me yeah yeah. (laughs) I mean me too clearly but one of the kind of things that within linguistics is kind of finding ways to tie that to evident a lot of what I do in my research is bringing together qualitative and quantitative methods so Mm -hmm. I don't I don't love graphs in and of themselves nobody does but I really like being able to where possible bring together qualitative analysis with the stat because you can't always just rely on your impressions when it comes to language because Mm -hmm. our brains are biased and complicated and don't always understand things so when I'm making an argument I quite like having something to pin that to something that is a bit outside of myself and a bit outside a bit more objective so my favorite analyses I've ever done are ones where I've taken something a bit more mathsy <laughs> and objective <laughs> and then brought that together with the stuff that I think is actually interesting so identity and experience and you heard it here first maths is not interesting everyone <laughs> oh you know maths is fine I don't know I hated maths in school I absolutely hated it and I only have 
begun to appreciate maths as I've learned the ways that maths can be applied to real life, like statistics. Um, and until that point, I had no interest. But now I'm like, okay, it's got its place. It's got its uses. When we're back in offices and institutions, I mean, it must be a surefire way to make people leave you alone in an English department. <laughs> if you just literally shove some graphs on your door, then all the literature people are going to leave you alone. It's like, oh, Christ. Great for just bamboozling people. Mm, but then what happens if you attract someone who's like, finally, another graph <laughs> lover, and you're like, fuck. <laughs> I don't actually, this is my big secret as a linguist, I don't actually love graphs at all. I, I feel like, yeah, the maths and the stats is kind of the part of it that I do to get to the stuff about about identity. That's the bit that I actually like. But when I'm applying for jobs, I pretend that I like graphs. <laughs> <laughs> I guess there was a graph. Linguistics is like, so it's, it's how we use language. So you're looking at accent quite a lot, but also because word choice come into things like, you know, is someone a Glaswegian because they use cunt all the time? Or like, <laughs> is, is that an aspect? Yeah, I guess the stuff that I look at. So if I'm looking at sociolinguistic variation, that's, I look at it across lots of different... So today I was reading something which used the term... Um, cunt. <laughs> <laughs> there, is, there are actually some really good papers on the use of cunt, particularly in Glasgow. The, the use of the word cunt, right? Not just the use yeah! of cunt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there are some really good articles on that too. Mm-hmm. No, I've got a couple of people I know have done some really good work on this. So, yeah, so I kind of look at word choices, so kind of lexical variation. So particularly I look at kind of the use of local words or non-standardized words and then also accent and then also grammar which often gets forgotten about so yeah and this is something I'm writing about just now actually and I think it's really interesting when we're talking about variation people are sometimes a little bit more accepting of differences in accent than Mm -hmm. they are of differences in grammar and that's really interesting in itself like why is that like so when I was doing my PhD I was looking at the language of young people in a high school in Glasgow and when I told people what I was looking at I was like Okay, so one of the things I'm looking at is the glottal stop, so the difference between bottle and bottle. One of the things is the use of I for yes, and mm-hmm. one of them is the use of I done that instead of I did that. And quite a lot of people, when I told them that, would be like, oh, hold on, that third one, though, that's just a mistake. That's the odd one out there, right? Of course, it's not at all. So the idea that there's good grammar and there's bad grammar is completely based on prejudice, which gets... Mm ingrained into us from a really young age so the idea that I did that is correct and I done that is incorrect why it's just one group of people's language over another basically I I did that is a more middle class way of saying it and because we are brought up to think that middle class equals good we think of that as being correct but there's no such thing as bad grammar there's no such thing as like incorrect language or sloppy speech it's all just a great big lie, <laughs> basically. This is nice to know because so one of the first jobs I had when I finished my master's was I worked for a telemarketing company. <laughs> Poor me. I worked in PPI. Oh, amazing. Oh, wow. <laughs> Quick, Louise, do you want to say more about yourself? No, no, I'm good. I'm good. I, I just saw the opportunity to one-up. I mean, it's anything's a one-up from that job. It was fucking horrific. But I originally applied for an admin role because I didn't want to work on the phones because it's terrifying. Phones are terrifying. And I came in for the interview and they literally at the end of it, they're like, actually, what would you think about working on the phones? Because it's a higher pay rate. And um, we just think you have a lovely telephone voice, which mm. in my head was just sort of like, you sound posh as fuck. 
and um, <laughs> you might be able to sell our trash, trash product. <laughs> so is there something there, like in terms of like, I want to go into this, like this class question, like, what role does class in social linguistics? And do we think that there is perhaps a shift away from, from this kind of constant aligning of certain class levels with particular accents? Um, I'm thinking of things like, I don't know, the the ver- variation of, because I've met my parents the last few weeks, like the variety of voices that you now see on like BBC News, for example, very different from when I was growing up and it was just the same old RP the whole way through. Like, I think it's kind of interesting. There's like a bunch of different, more regional accents when you have like a particular regional reporter or I don't know, I've, I've lost the track of my question. Can you respond to it? <laughs> <laughs> Interesting question. I was talking to my boyfriend about this recently because he's a journalist and he was saying that a lot of it's to do with changes in structure in the BBC and kind of more reporting being done outside of London. Yeah, I've had a few conversations with people about this recently where folk have said to me, but how can you say that linguistic discrimination or inequality is a thing? Mm when there's so many regional accents on the telly or in the Houses of Parliament. I think there has been a little bit of a shift. So, I mean, the equivalent, I guess, is like, there are women in the Houses of Parliament. <laughs> like, we know that misogyny is alive and well. Also, the kind of accents that... So we we are hearing a bit more regional variation, you know, in middle-class spaces. So middle-class spaces, including newsrooms, mm-hmm. middle-class spaces, including maybe universities, middle-class spaces, including, like, the Houses of Parliament. So we're hearing a bit more accent variation, but we're still not hearing the full range of accents. Mm-hmm. So you're not getting people in the Houses of Parliament with... The most working class end of accents from places like Glasgow or Birmingham. You're hearing kind of a slightly a modified, you're hearing people who might be from working class backgrounds who are probably altering the way they speak quite a lot to fit a middle class norm. And like we were just talking about grammatical variation, you're not going to hear a lot of that in those middle class spaces. So you're not very likely to hear somebody saying like, I were really hungry. They would say I was really hungry or I'd done I'd done that analysis already. They'd say I did that analysis already. So we're, we're hearing a little bit more variation creeping into middle class spaces, but I think that's quite limited. And I think there is still a real expectation on people to alter the way they speak to speak more like rich white people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, I think there has been shift in some places and in some ways. And I kind of want to learn a bit more about actually, because I think it'd be really interesting to... And this is something I might do on my podcast, the one about language, not the one about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> um, I would really like to speak to some people who are older now, who kind of remember a little bit more about the back, like maybe people who work in journalism or in universities in the past at a time when linguistic prejudice was, I don't know, was it more extreme? This is the question I want to ask. You know, we, we have this idea that, there was this more this this bigger more heightened level of linguistic prejudice in those days but i'd like to i'd like to know how that looks from their perspective and mm. whether that is the way they've experienced that but yeah i think i think it is important to kind of when we're looking at those questions to look at the changes that have happened but then not to be like okay so it's all fixed. all done all fixed yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, the point that you just Problem made well about um sort of like sounding like rich white people have you seen the film sorry to bother you with the keith stanfield if not i've been oh, told it's really good yes you sh- i mean it's really yeah. good but it's also like 
it's great and then it gets like super fucked up so okay <laughs> just prepare yourself for that twist because we were like what a great comedy what the fuck is happening oh um, really yeah okay. there's, like a, there's an interesting twist anyway but there's a section like the, oh. the whole thing about it is like it's been a while since i watched it but the guy is struggling to pay his rent and he, he gets hired in a telemarketing company of sorts um mm. and adopts what is called the the white voice and suddenly uh-huh. ascends through the company's hierarchical structure and it's just this yeah. kind of like very funny completely kind of highlighting exactly what you just said about the way in which we still have these kind of inbuilt prejudices particularly around certain voices and vocalizations and it's also just this really bizarre dissonant moment when you see this kind of cast of black actors and they're all speaking with like the voice of i don't know what's his name from arrested development the doctor guy like i'm pretty sure that's mm-hmm. his voice <laughs> it's just mm-hmm. really really strange but yeah i would recommend watching that maybe i've been watching a lot of tv because of the last year obviously um yeah what happened now? Uh, nothing nothing happened at all and I mean that on many many levels <laughs> but did you ever watch Chernobyl the short series yeah, yeah 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 so I found that so interesting in terms of how they selected the actors despite the fact that they're all kind of like English or at least anglocentric that they selected characters that had a particular voice to kind of align with a particular class level mm. did you notice that as well when you were watching it so like all the kind of the mm. people that own or like you know the people that were idiots and fucked up everything were the people in charge and they had quite sort of I don't know, posh upper middle class accents. But it really struck me when the people who came in to do the mining were Scottish. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, this is such, this is such a strange cut. Like, they were all Scottish. It was just such an interesting casting choice. And I remember that there was a thread that went around. And there's the reason why I'm talking about this because there was a thread from a linguist going around being like, it's so interesting they've chosen to present the kind of working class mining community in this show, which is about fucking, you know, Chernobyl. But they've cast Scottish accents specifically for this role. I don't know if you guys also speak Ukrainian, but, but working class no. uh, Ukrainian people actually do sound Scottish. Oh, true. Yeah. Okay. okay. Sorry about that. Yeah. So a friend of mine did a master's in translation, and she wrote about the translation into German of Trainspotting mm. by Irvin Welsh. And I think she said that the decision they made, because this is a book that's written in like working class Edinburgh Scots, and there's a question like, do we just translate that into standard German? Surely we'd be losing something. It's it's very much written in that dialect. So the decision they made was to translate it into Turkish German, like Berlin Turkish German, cool. I think, which is so what they were kind of doing was trying to pick a variety of German that had the same kind of stigma and prejudice against mm-hmm. it that that variety would have in Scotland that, that would kind of make people understand how it feels to speak a variety like that. So I thought that was quite interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, I think I've got that right. I'm not sure if Turkish German's the right term but the kind of Berlin variety spoken by people who've moved from Turkey to Berlin Mm. so yeah I thought that was really interesting to go back to the thing about like yeah like white middle class language like I've kind of been reading recently and you know when people sort of talk about standard English and Mm -hmm. it's this really contentious term nobody really Mm. knows exactly what it means does it even exist but some linguists have been starting to call it white mainstream English instead like it and then when people talk about standard English so for example when schools or call centers are like you must speak in standard English if you just replace that with white mainstream English is just that little bit more honest about what you're trying to do Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because I think one of the issues is that our linguistic hierarchies are so ingrained so we've got such a sort of solid idea about what good language sounds like what educated language sounds like that we can forget that what we're talking about is is white middle class (laughs) and and also male like the language of white middle class men and we can we can forget about that and we can I think we we kind of put that 
type of language or I should say those types of language because you know it's different in Scotland and from place to place but we put those kind of white middle class types of language on a pedestal and then we've we've left them there so long that we just can't see the pedestal anymore Mm. and we just think they're just really tall (laughs) and it's really really misleading and like if we think about like a term like educated so we have this idea of like educated language the way that educated people speak but you'll know that there are tiny children who've not been to nursery yet who speak in that way and they're 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 not educated at all now they're dumb as shit (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) they they know nothing they're stupid stupid children but like you don't have to be educated to speak that way right basically what we mean is the language of the groups of people who have the best access to education Mm -hmm. and then we, it's just like a circle where we, we just spin that logic in on itself again and again until we can't see it anymore. It drives me kind of crazy. Choose life. Choose a job. Choose a career. Choose Praxis. Why is it that if I ever want my Alexa to do something, I have to put on a stupid voice? Like, do yeah, I've never had an Alexa. Yeah, yeah, you have to be like, you can't just be like, oh, Alexa, turn lights on, or whatever. You have to be like... Alexa, turn lights on. Like, <laughs> so, like, is that related to all this stuff? Like, yeah. So, <laughs> is like, that related why? to the kind of stuff that you do, Sadie? Yeah. yeah. Or, or why, what, <laughs> like, Sadie, does Alexa hate me, or is Alexa prejudiced? Is it me? Or is it Alexa's problem? Alexa is genuinely prejudiced as fuck. <laughs> so I just got accepted. I'm really excited about this. I just got accepted into robot school. I'm so with in- Say more. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. We didn't even ask about the boring fact. This is great. Oh, this is my boring fact, I guess. I just got accepted into robot I mean, it's school. Not robo- it's not. I just, I just remembered. It's, everything's too interesting. What is robot school and why did you get accepted? <laughs> I got an email, so I got an email which... No, no, we all get emails that offer us things. Like, did you... (laughs) I don't know if you guys have ever heard from a a Nigerian prince. Oh, yes. I've been offered many hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of funding money, by the way. Very impressive. (laughs) No, honest to God, this is what it felt like initially. So there was an email that went round on this, like, linguistics... uh, I guess it's like a listserv, like an old-fashioned mailing list. Um, And this email came round that was like, do you want a free holiday to Spain? All expenses paid? And I was like, yes, yes, I absolutely do. You know, especially they're promising you this during a pandemic. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, absolutely. So I cl- kind of clicked on the link to see what it was. And it was, we believe that it is time for humans to, no, it's time for linguists to prepare for the human machine era. And I was like, what is this? And the more I read, the more it felt like the start of an episode of Black Mirror or something. Yeah. My sister was like, you are absolutely going to have your brain removed and put into a robot's body. Like, <laughs> no two ways about it so what it actually is is a training school for linguists in order for us to learn more about technology and robots and how linguistics as a discipline is going to change as humans are interacting more with robots and whether interacting with robots is the same as interacting with people whether it's different so I'm really really excited about it so I had to kind of write an application and say what I was interested in and I said that yeah like I'm really interested in the ways that linguistic inequality gets baked into technology so I was speaking to someone about this on a radio thing recently but um, they've done some research in America where if you're a speaker of African American English it is really difficult to get any device to understand you oh really yeah 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 so this is the only piece of 
I'm sure there's been no no there there has been a piece of research in the UK which showed that as we might all imagine it is quite difficult if you're Scottish to get your devices to understand you and it's also more difficult if you're a woman men in their study found it easier to get Alexa to listen to them I have heard that before actually it's the same with um sat nav people people sat nav robots yeah 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 Yeah, it's quite funny listening to my mum having to talk to her Alexa or whatever it is or something suddenly putting on a very deep voice the American study was looking at basically seeing how much of African-American English speech robots voice recognition software understood and it was a lot less than kind of general American speech and in the UK I think the research was looking at automatic subtitling so obviously during the pandemic um, people who teach in universities have been having to put all their lectures online my boss who is a man with quite an like fairly RP-ish accent, at least from the south of England, he doesn't need to edit his subtitles at all. They just come up correct the first time. Whereas my boss, who is a Scottish woman, has to go through and change every single word. That has real world implications for your workload. Mm -hmm. Like literally, if you have a particular type of accent that is associated with privilege, you have to work less, Mm -hmm. Um, which is kind of crazy. And and it's to do with the data that the machines are trained on. So if you just train the machines with a more diverse data set, you would not have so much of these issues. This is the second time this has come up. We've had a recent episode on sort of algorithms and selection of data sets and basically everything's Mm. just really fucking biased. That's it. And... Yeah, I mean, I don't really see the reason for that. Like, even if you are going by the logic of capitalism and you just want to sell your devices to the most people, then surely you want to make them accessible to the most people? You think you would so, think. You? I mean, I have to say, I've not been to robot school yet, so I don't know much about the mechanics of this or the ins and outs of it. There's also the question as well of, like, the, the voices that robots speak with. So, like, I have heard robots speak with quite a limited number of accents, so you get kind of your Siri's and your Alexa's who oh no they come with lots of different voices don't they but the ones I've heard are the kind of received pronunciation accents and then I've heard robots speak to me with American accents well I've never heard robots speak with any variety that wouldn't be associated with white middle class people I've never heard like a Brummy robot I've never heard a Scottish robot I'm sure they exist but I don't know where I remember when we first got a sat nav that the male voice was quite calming and it would be mm. like, you know, take the next step, do this, da 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 da. And then if you switched it to female, she sounded like a complete bitch. <laughs> it was like that robot voice. It would just be like, turn left now. It was like fucking hell. Like I don't like I don't know what they were trying to prove by making it female. Somehow this the voice was just really threatening. The voice for people who want to listen to shrill women telling them what to do. Oh, exactly. And maybe that's the problem, right? In terms of men driving, they won't listen unless a woman's yelling at them because that's just how it works. But yeah, that must be it. That must be it. Yeah, and then, like, you could definitely argue that, like, you know, it doesn't really matter what kind of accents robots speak with. It, It seems less important. And it probably is less of an issue than people not being able to use technology because it doesn't understand their voices or, you know, not being able to phone up a call centre and get their bill sorted because they can't get through the initial screening by the robot. I think it does matter as well. You know, like we have these ideas about some accents being more difficult to understand than others. You quite often hear like, well, Glaswegian accents, you know, we can't really have people speaking working class Glaswegian uh, on the telly because people just won't understand. You need to subtitle it. And of course, no accents are more difficult to understand than any others. It's just about exposure. 
an experience like people who speak working class Glaswegian Scots don't struggle to understand each other so again it's this kind of circular logic where if you don't give people exposure to those sort of voices then they do find them difficult to understand and then they complain that they're difficult to understand. I used to work as a warden in university accommodations for the like PGT students at Glasgow and the majority of the PGT population was Chinese coming through for the last few years. I was always called down to help new arrivals because the people behind the welcome desk were working class normally east end Glaswegians and the Chinese students coming over were just sort of like I have no idea what's happening I know mm. I'm, I know this person is communicating with me I'm trying to communicate with them we're having the worst time ever once again Alexandra with a good telephone voice comes down to try and save the day <laughs> as a kind of a mediator between the two by the end of it obviously having spent like months living in the accommodation they would then be fine and have like full-on conversations with the people behind the mm. desk and the different wardens and security guards and cleaners and everything but it was always just that very kind of sudden seeing these poor students just there like I have traveled for 48 hours yeah and I don't know what this person's saying but as well you know that's completely fine as long as people understand that that's because that's the accent they've been exposed to in their lessons yes, you know yeah. like that's that's the accent that they've been that they've been taught so then that's the accent that they're going to understand mm-hmm. and I think I think it does for a lot of people end up being like well it's because more isn't like inherently easy to understand mm. rather than just like it has the most exposure yeah exactly um I think the danger is when you forget that like there's nothing wrong with having varieties that we use like as a lingua franca like to communicate with each mm-hmm. other it's just understanding that that could just as easily be like if those students had been taught by somebody Glaswegian Mm -hmm. and had been taught working class Glaswegian Scots that's what they would understand yeah exactly I remember when I did like GCSE German and they'd just sometimes shove in a Swiss German speaker just for fun and it would be like lol see what you make of that (laughs) it's completely completely different yeah yeah it's hard to understand CEO entrepreneur born in 1964 Jeffrey Jeffrey Bezos hates your accent. We're talking a lot about like speaking in accents, but like what happens when you sing? I was told like when we do singing that it's all about the consonant sounds is the standard and it's the vowel sounds that makes the accent when you sing which is probably Mm. bullshit when you have to do an accent for a show. I don't know if you know, but I do musicals. Musicals that allow you to do very questionable accents. Very (laughs) questionable. I can't do an American accent to save my fucking life. And most shows, fucking American accents. (laughs) I'm fine if it's Cockney. It's either American or Cockney, and I'm fine if it's Cockney. But, like, so what happens when you sing? Because there's, like, certain singers and stuff that have super broad accents like i'm english and i'm singing the song like you know no offense to anyone who actually sings like that i think a lot of it depends on genre so like you get singers with lots of different accents in kind of i'm stretching my my knowledge of music a bit now but if someone's doing kind of musical theater it would tend to be well i guess then you're playing a character as well so it's maybe a bit different if someone's singing opera they're going to probably sing in a very specific mm-hmm. type of accent, right? In folk music, people tend to sing kind of in, in their different regional accents a bit. And then in pop music, I feel like it might be changing a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, so I did a bit of work on this Scotland and kind of in Scotland in kind of the 70s and 80s, most people didn't sing in Scottish accents unless they were doing folk music. So if you think of like 
who are kind of big pop stars from that time, like Orange Juice or... <laughs> no, or... <laughs> um, God, there must be more than that. Delamitri. Um Lulu! Lulu, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, Lulu's, Lulu's a great example. So Lulu doesn't sing in a Scottish accent at all, does she? You want to shout that? And, like, I couldn't quite put my finger on what accent she does sing in, but it doesn't sound Scottish. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I think kind of more recently there's been quite a big shift especially in like indie music there's been a big shift towards people singing in Scottish accents so so I got to interview Aidan Moffat from Arabstrap so basically he he was like a little bit of a pioneer in that way where at the time when he was doing music so there was like the Proclaimers who sound very Scottish but they were kind of a folk band and kind of seen as a folk band um they were just kind of folk pop who kind of went mainstream and then he came along and was like very much Sorry. Da, da, da. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I couldn't hold it in. Dun, 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 dun. Sorry. Well, the chief put sunshine on leaf and all that. So Arabstrap, Aidan Moffat kind of came along and was like absolutely, definitely not folk music and started singing in this really distinctly Falkirk accent. Um, and people were like a bit put off by it at first, but then they became massive. People really embraced them. Um, so I, I got to interview him and kind of ask him about what that decision was all about. Um, and it was a really interesting conversation. So I interviewed him and I interviewed um, Justin Curry from Delamitri, who always sang. Well, he sang originally in quite an american accent and then he went more English. No, it was the other way around. He started off in quite an Englishy accent and then went more American. And then Aidan Moffat. And then I interviewed a guy called Dave Hook, who's like a Scottish rapper from Airdrie. Cool. Um, and he's kind of even more modern again. And he very much like, well, he started in an American accent and then switched to a Scottish accent quite early on. But yeah, it was such an interesting conversation with each of them, but then also to compare the three of them because... When I asked them questions like, is your singing voice you or is it different from your speaking voice? Because that was what I wanted to really get at. Like when you're singing and then you kind of speak in a different accent, you know, like what was going on there? Um, And they all said completely different things. So like Justin Curry from Delamitri was like, my singing voice is absolutely separate from who I am. Like it's an instrument. It's not it's not an extension of my personality. Whereas Aidan Moffat was like, oh yeah, like, of course, my singing voice is connected to who I am. You know, it's 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 about me expressing my feelings and whatever. Yeah, so I kind of did the, like one after the other. And then I got to Dave Hook and he was like, I was like, so when you're singing or performing, are you like, are you performing an identity or is that you? And he was like, I think we're always performing. And I was like, whoa. Deep. <laughs> really deep. Like, that sounds like I'm making fun. I genuinely was like, that's such a good answer. So they all said something completely different. They all kind of conceptualized the relationship between themselves and their voice mm-hmm. when it comes to singing really differently. Um, and I think that maybe has something to do with it. I don't know. Is that something to do with different musical genres again, where there's like, a different kind of thought about how your voice connects with your identity I don't know what do you think Louise I'm just remembering the time that we did Oklahoma and uh-huh. uh, when you sang Oklahoma we know we belong to the land and the land we belong to is grand with a fucking Glaswegian like chorus oh. like Oklahoma's grand was always a fucking bone of contention grand. Grand. Um, so that was that was always fun was the director trying to like strip out the Scottish a little bit? yeah because uh, he's like guys it said Oklahoma you can't roll your R's <laughs> <laughs> what about the 
Oh, in Oklahoma. So, like, if I say it's oh, Oklahoma, sorry. yeah. Is it like? Is it meant to be like? Oh, Oklahoma. 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 Okay, no, you know what? I actually have a question that isn't about Oklahoma. <laughs> what is Moira Rose's accent? Oh, oh yeah. I love, it. I love it so much. Like, I <laughs> I just did not expect... Oklahoma. Like, I don't think of myself... I don't think of myself as someone who, like, finds it hilarious when someone says baby in a funny voice, but I absolutely... Turns out I absolutely am. <laughs> <laughs> Alexis... Whose baby is this? Where is she from? No one knows. That's the joy. The absolute joy. joy. If you were planning to like over-intellectualise it, which I think you always should do do. with comedy. Always, always. (laughs) Then I guess like she is kind of a joke about this kind of like inauthentic, too self-aware actress who will kind of like putting on airs and graces like trying to alter her accent a little bit maybe just to make herself seem a little bit more interesting Mm -hmm. or so you know like when uh what's her name Lindsay Lohan Mm -hmm. um suddenly changed her accent to something that was just like the exact midpoint between all accents and everybody went mental (laughs) oh so, so it was like a big kind of like like linguist loved it so she did this interview where she I I can't do an impression of it but like she was American and then she did this interview which was just kind of like she started speaking an American accent and then she suddenly sounded a bit Russian and then she sounded a bit English and then maybe a little bit Irish. And then she said it was because she'd been traveling so much and she'd been learning lots of different languages. And then I think maybe a linguist kind of did like an article where they were like, that's not a thing. Um, Yeah, everybody went crazy because they were just like, who the fuck does she think she is? Like, Like everyone was so mad at her. This reminds me, have you seen the videos of, I think it's Kevin Keegan, when he started coaching a Dutch football team, he's British, and he started speaking like broken English as if he was Dutch? It's on YouTube. It is art. Oh, so good. Have you ever seen a documentary called The Armstrongs? No. It's from a few years ago. It's not very well known. I just kind of found it on YouTube. It's brilliant. And it's a documentary which feels a lot like a parody but it is real and it's about this couple who own the third biggest double glazing business in Cheshire or something um no it's not Cheshire what is it Coventry Coventry it's the third biggest double glazing business in Coventry a claim to fame indeed (laughs) really I don't know why I haven't watched this yet they're just both the most ridiculous people and there's this wonderful wonderful it's all about like their kind of like mad ideas about management and stuff and there's this wonderful one where they go to France to try and kind of strike up some business deals in France and the guy I can't remember his name but the guy of the couple is like oh yeah yeah I speak I speak French I speak French (laughs) and then they get there and he does not speak French he just like starts putting on a really French accent so he's like uh hello uh bonjour um can I sell you some double glazing? <laughs> <laughs> and then he's trying to sell conservatories and he keeps being like, uh, I have a conservatoire for you. And, it's, and then the subtitles are like, I have a music school for you. <laughs> it's just, it's it. just absolutely bar me. Like, I don't know 
what yeah i don't know what is going on there linguistically but you should definitely watch it it's great praxis i did do quite a fun accentricity episode about like fake accent like well acting accents in film and tv and that was really fun because I went into it like just ready to have some fun slagging off bad accents. Yeah. And by the end of it, like, because I spoke to a couple of people who are like vocal coaches or voiceover, you know, actors. By the time I'd spoken to a couple act, I was being really harsh because when people are doing accents, you know, actors are putting on accents, they kind of almost can't put on one that's perfect or sometimes they can. Mm. So I was speaking to one person, Rowanna, who'd had a job where she had to play a real person. So... She would, so she's playing like a 15 year old girl who's moved from Kosovo to Glasgow and has like a half Kosovan, half Glaswegian accent and, you know, like real accent the way a lot of people sound. So she kind of met this girl and copied her accent exactly. And then when she went to do it for the director, the director was like, nah, this is just weird. Like people are going to be so confused. The audience are going to be sitting there trying to guess if she's Kosovan or Glaswegian. So got her to like put on a more Kosovan accent rather than the girl's real accent. So it's like, yeah like real accents almost don't always translate onto tv and then people's accents change in different situations and you know you can have a completely different accent with different people whereas if an actor did that it would be seen as being really inconsistent and probably Mm -hmm. interpreted as like a bad accent by the audience so it's like you've got to be like real but not too real so it became like so much more interesting than I thought it was going to be like I thought it was just going to be like haha Tom Cruise is really bad at accent which I did to be fair as well what is the worst example of an accent that you've seen in a film and why is it Mel Gibson and Braveheart (laughs) why is it everyone doing a Scottish accent like people just can't People really struggle or, with Scottish accents. Alternatively, Gerard Butler doing an, an American accent. That poor man. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And, I mean, there's been some pretty bad Irish accents in, in oh, yes. films as oh, well. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sean Connery, I think, was the worst Irish accent I found. You'd think that at least maybe Irish and Scottish would be yeah, similar enough. Be some sort of, no. I mean, maybe it's similar enough to an American ear or whoever was cast in the film. Like, maybe they don't try too hard. Yeah, just Hollywood I... being like, oh my God, he's so Celtic. Wow, so Sadie, that's incredible. You've just told us about your research and we totally didn't forget to ask you this question until the very end of the podcast. But can we please get your Tinder bio? <laughs> I wrote it down. I wrote it down. Nice linguistic prejudice you've got there. Mind if I interrogate it wink Wink. (laughs) oh the winks made it for me I was I was touch and go there for a moment I was a bit like I don't want to be interrogated no um (laughs) that sounds a bit statistics to me sounds a bit bit graph oriented a bit bit science oriented to me like maths (laughs) I'm not really a scientist I've told you (laughs) um no I, I I I enjoy the um yeah, don't be a dick. I'm gonna get to the bottom of why you're a dick. So that's good. Uh, although slightly, like, I mean, I I can't believe that I've not even mentioned this yet. But like, how often do you have to deal with people like talking about you being a cunning linguist? <laughs> like, how often does this happen? Because <laughs> I'm surprised that's not in the gender bio. Well, I, yeah, I just, I obviously that was the first thing I thought of, and then I was like. Nah, you know. So I have to say, in linguistics, 
in linguistics people have have done that and it's and moved on <laughs> like I feel like people are just yeah so no nobody does it within linguistics um outside <laughs> of linguistics people use it all the time um but yeah li- linguists I guess just we're done just with, it. Just... with it yeah it's like, oh yeah yeah we all we're good at oral sex <laughs> and then okay sure. speaking, speaking of boring facts is uh is, is that yours no um, <laughs> <laughs> yes i love that you guys as the editors can can clip whatever you want we can do whatever we like <laughs> what is my boring fact my boring fact I think I brought my blender today. Oh, no. What kind of blender? Yeah. Bullet blender for, for smoothies? Not, it wasn't a bullet blender, but it's quite a, it was quite a good blender. It was one of the better pieces of kitchen equipment that I own and now I maybe don't own it anymore. I don't know how fast you guys edit, but I've not um told my boyfriend about it yet and I think he's going to be quite sad. But presumably I will have told him before this episode goes <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's not coming out like tomorrow or anything. He really loved that blender. (laughs) (laughs) R.I.P. I I know. I feel bad about it. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a hard week (laughs) in the Ryan household. (laughs) Amazing. Law by Praxis says free Britney. Finally, do you have any plugs? Obviously, we will mention both of your podcasts. Uh, but is there anything else coming up on the horizon that you would like our listeners to be aware of oh that's a good question well I've got like a new series of the podcast coming out so that's I'm quite excited about that so yeah so I've got a new series of the podcast coming out which is all stories about language and migration we've done a course basically like an online podcasting course during lockdown so we kind of invited applications from people who have experienced migration to talk to us about it and then we kind of trained them up as podcasters and they've made all their own episodes and they're so good and I'm really really excited for people to hear them so it's called The Moving Project and yeah I guess it will be perhaps starting to come out when this episode comes out um and is there anything else not really I think that's the main thing I, like if people if pe- right so people are very much welcome to listen to me and Osh's Buffy podcast as long as they don't have really high expectations of us <laughs> knowing a lot about um, Buffy that's what we have for that's our disclaimer for our podcast you can listen to our podcast but you can't have expectations <laughs> Because like we don't we don't have any expertise we don't really do any deep analysis or research we just watch Buffy stop, together and have step a lot of fun. our toes here this is our territory <laughs> under research bullshit is our aesthetic how dare you Sadie <laughs> oh it's definitely the most fun way to do a podcast and I have to say doing it during lockdown has just been bloody lovely because like. We've not been able to hang out in the mm-hmm. normal ways and it's been just a really nice way to hang out. So yeah, people are welcome to listen to uh, that podcast as long as they don't, we don't want anyone to like come at us with like, oh, but you didn't know this really obscure fact. I have to say Osh knows a lot more about Buffy than me, but um, yeah, we just want people to to be chill about Buffy and that's not really... <laughs> we can always expect i know that people are not chill about buffy 
We've been Long My Praxis. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget, a five-star output deserves five-star reviews. No reviewer two comments, please. Shout out to our biggest fan and most consistent listener, my mother. Faye, you can get in touch with us by emailing longmypraxis at gmail.com or finding us on Twitter at longmypraxis. Today's episode was brought to you by the letter pi and the number lots of stats. Our shape this week is the tongue. Remember to tell your friends with apologies for a cross-posting. Bye.